Good morning and happy Easter. Jesus Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious one in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let us pray. Our God and Father, what a glorious opportunity we have to gather here, to gather together virtually to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You did not allow him to see decay. You did not abandon him to the grave. Because of that, we have life. We have the hope of not only joining joining together again here, but joining together with all the saints in glory, in your presence, in the new heavens and the new earth. So as we come together virtually to worship. We ask that you be pleased with our worship. Remind us that you are here, that you are the God who lives. Lord, we continue to pray to you, praying as you have taught. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We do celebrate Easter today. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we will celebrate by singing. Jesus Christ is risen today. If you have a hymn book at home, it's hymn number 204.
are sinners saved by the risen King. And as sinners, we are called to confess. So hear this prayer of confession from Prone to Wander by Barbara Duguid. Merciful Father, we come to confess our incredible lack of faith in the reality of the resurrection. Like Thomas, we often live in defiant doubt of your resurrection, evidenced by our idolatrous and self-centered lives. It is shocking and almost inconceivable that you would allow your son to bear the just and holy wrath that was reserved for us, even to the point of death. Yet you have sealed the promise of our forgiveness and perfect salvation by raising him from the grave, victorious over death and hell itself. This amazing truth is what we have doubted. Forgive us, Lord, for this abuse of your priceless gift. We confess that when we sin with our bodies, minds, and spirits, we live as though Christ never left the tomb. We live in the deadness of our flesh, as though you too are dead. Deliver us from this living death, we pray. Suffering, victorious Savior, you never doubted your Father. Even as you experienced the agony of being abandoned by him on the cross, you trusted your Father to keep his promise to you and raise you from the dead. Now your perfect faith is ours, and we live confidently in the joy of your obedience credited to us. Although we walk in this walk through this life as poor, wretched, and needy sinners, we are clothed with your goodness, and we are participants in your endless victory over death. Powerful Holy Spirit, help us to be children who live by faith and not by sight. Impress upon us the reality of what we cannot see. Jesus' hand in heaven, forever bearing scars that proclaim that the punishment for our sins has been paid in full. Transform us into people who do not doubt you. Help us to believe firmly in the power of the cross. Strengthen us to become a people of growing faith who hate our sin and run from it until love's redeeming work is completely finished. Raise our joys and triumphs high as we wait for that day when we will follow where Christ has led. Be made like him and worship our risen Savior forever. Amen. And then like Thomas, hear these words. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of Revelation. The, the words to John from Jesus as he was there on the island of Patmos. So we hear these words from Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 through verse 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what was written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, 
Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is faithful, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. As we've said the last few weeks, this is the point in our service where we normally collect the tithes and our offerings. Uh, Please make sure you are supporting your church um, as bills are still due. If you are listening from other churches, we welcome you and thank you for listening and encourage you to support your church as well as they still have their bills to take care of. Jesus lived on this earth. He walked on this earth. He lived under the law, keeping the law perfectly. He battled with sin and death. And our next hymn comes from the hymn book number 203. And it reminds us that the strife is over and the battle is done. So if you have a hymn book there at home, please join us as we sing hymn number 203.
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our great God and Father above, we thank you for the reality of this day. We thank you that you did not leave your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, under the bonds of death. You freed him from those bonds. You raised him to glory. And then he ascended to sit at your right hand. And we thank you for that reality. As we bring our praises to you, we are reminded that one day when our Lord and Savior returns, we will lift our perfect praises to you for all of eternity. We are reminded in his resurrection that we too will be raised from the dead. That we will be planted as perishable, but raised as imperishable. So that we might live forever in your presence, offering praise and worship to you. As we bring our cares and concerns, those weights of this world, our sicknesses, our relational difficulties, our financial difficulties, our struggles with our own emotions, our own minds. As we bring those things to you, we are reminded that one day everything sad will be undone. That this is not all that there is. This is not all that we hope for. That you suffered as we suffer. You were tempted as we are tempted. And you were victorious over our temptations Over our sufferings. So help us to live in the glory of the resurrection. Help us to live in the power of the hope that it gives to us. As we struggle with life on this earth. I do lift up to you today those people who are sick and who are ailing. I lift up to you this virus. And ask that you remind us of the power that we have in the midst of it. And also ask that you take it from us. Protect those who are working in hospitals and doctor's offices. Who are potentially exposed to this virus. Protect them from it. Protect the businesses that are closed right now. The livelihoods that are at risk because of this virus. We ask that you provide for and restore for them. And help us as your church to serve in light of the resurrection power in the midst of this virus, in the midst of this difficulty. Lord, we lift our praises to you. We ask that you be honored by them. And we ask that you open our eyes to your glory, to your resurrection glory in the midst of this world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We are a people who gathers around truth. And the truth that we gather around is the truth of the word, the truth of the scriptures. And that truth is summarized for us in the Apostles Creed. So I ask you today, church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, our son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Luke. Today we are in Luke chapter 4. We will read verses 1 through 35. You know, it amazes me. I've been saying the Apostles' Creed for close to 50 years, and yet I still stumble over it. So, but today we are rejoicing and proclaiming the truth. And I will read verses 1 through 35 of Luke chapter 24, but our focus today will be on verses 13 through 35. So hear the word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And they came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as they walk as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers They handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are 
And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. And has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread. Let us pray. Our God and Father above. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Luke's account of the resurrection. And the account of these two men. As they left Jerusalem headed to Emmaus. Open to us the realities and the glories of the resurrection. Open to us the reality and the glories of what was purchased for us on the cross, in the grave, and in the resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine yourself locked in a room full of some of your closest friends. They've become your closest friends because you've been following an itinerant preacher for the last three years. He preached the message of repentance and the kingdom of God, and he declared himself to be the long-awaited Messiah. He did miraculous works that showed he was truly the Son of God. The long-awaited consolation of Israel was at hand, and you were part of the group of people that were going to be important in the new Messianic kingdom. Then the unthinkable happened. One of Jesus' closest associates betrayed him. He was arrested, tried illegally, and executed for crimes he did not commit. At the time of his betrayal, you and most everyone else scattered, fearing for your freedom and safety. Over the the Sabbath day, many of you had regrouped in the upper room, wondering what was going to happen next, wondering if you would be next. Then on the morning of the first day of the week, things began to happen. Several women who had been part of the group who had had their lives changed by Jesus come rushing into the room, excitedly proclaiming that Jesus' body is no longer in the grave and some angelic beings have proclaimed that he is not here. He is risen. And you call their words nonsense. Nobody really believes the women. Let's face it, in the Roman Empire of the first century, the testimony of women did not stand up in court. It was not acceptable to determine truth. Now, by the way, this is an internal proof of the reality of Luke's account. If you were making this up a century or so later, as many people claim, you would not have included the testimony of the women because it bore no weight. Peter, yes. James, yes. John, absolutely, because they were the closest friends of Jesus. You would have them being the ones 
to be the first witness, to be the first proclaimers of the resurrected Christ. But back to our story. You've had enough. Your leader is dead. His body is missing and the danger of further retribution is too great. So you and a friend take off. You head for a small town seven miles away from Jerusalem, a town called Emmaus. Maybe you have family there. Maybe you're just trying to put as much distance between you and the epicenter of a failed revolution as you can. Whatever your reason, you're traveling on the way and you're joined by a third person who we know is Jesus. But by the Holy Spirit, your eyes have been closed so that you don't recognize him. And he asked, why are you so sad? And you look at him and say, don't you know? Haven't you heard? Jesus, the great prophet, was betrayed, arrested and crucified. And then the stranger does something totally unexpected. He begins to open the scriptures and teach you about the mission of this prophet, this prophet named Jesus. So today we'll look at what he said, where he opened up Moses and all the prophets. First, we'll look at Moses. What is he talking about when he says he opened up Moses? Moses more than likely refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Refers to the law that was given to Moses, the account of creation, the account of the building of the tabernacle, the growth of the nation, the establishment of the law and the sacrificial system. And Jesus starts with Moses and he opens up Moses and he begins to show them what must happen to the Messiah, to the servant of God. I would imagine that he began in Genesis chapter three, Genesis one and two. We have the creation of the heavens, the creation of the earth. We have Adam and Eve placed in the garden and given rules to follow. They must tend. They must keep the garden. And they must also not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Rather quickly, they fail in what they were told to do, and they eat of the tree. And as God is laying out his curses, he says this to the state, to the snake, to the serpent in Genesis 3:15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We know that Satan has taken the form of a servant to tempt Adam and Eve. And God, in his declaration to the servant, declares that at one point in history, a descendant of the woman, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. And yet in the crushing of the head, the heel of the seed will be bruised, will be struck by the serpent. We know that restoration, that redemption, this is the initial promise of redemption in the Bible. Promise that God will make right the sins of man. And I would think as well that maybe he would go to Leviticus. For us is Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, you have the establishment of the Day of Atonement. This ritual that must be done every year. For atonement to be made for the people of God. As I mentioned in my Good Friday message, the at the end of Exodus after the temple or the tabernacle, excuse me, is set up, Moses is unable to enter God's presence. 
And then we have the book of Leviticus. And at the end of the book of Leviticus, the beginning of the book of Numbers, we see Moses able to speak to God in his presence face to face. And in order for God, a holy God, a perfect God, a righteous God to dwell in the midst of his people, the sacrificial system was set up. And at the middle of that system in the book of Leviticus is the day of atonement. Many commentators believe that the entire first five books of the Bible, the law, the books of Moses hinge, turn upon this chapter, chapter 16, the day of atonement. But what was the problem with the day of atonement where the sins were covered by the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat? It had to be done every year. It was not enough. It pointed forward to a perfect day of atonement. So Jesus likely opened Genesis 3:15, Leviticus 16, maybe some of the other passages throughout. Maybe he looked at Numbers 21:9 with the serpent being lifted up, which he refers to in John chapter 3. Maybe he looked at the law and our inability to keep it, but he opened up the books of Moses in order to teach them that the servant must suffer. Next, we're told he opened up all the prophets. Now, to to combine Moses and the prophets here may actually be referring to all of the the Old Testament, not just what we consider the prophets and the law, leaving out the poetic books. We consider the prophets to be these books that begin with Isaiah, but for, for Cleopas and his friend, All the prophets would have been everything from Joshua to the end of the Old Testament, except for the poetic books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Ruth and Chronicles and Daniel. I know it's a big list. But he was likely referring as well to those prophetic books. We think of the psalm that we read, Psalm 16 in uh, in the Psalms. We think of Psalm chapter two where he talks about the son of God, who was the messianic king. Um, he was likely referring and re- looked at the Psalms as well. But I want to look at two prophetic passages. The first being in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 23 says this. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jesus references this in John chapter 10, where he talks about being the good shepherd. But what did he say the good shepherd does for the sheep in John chapter 10? Said that he lays down his life for the sheep so that he might take it back up again. And then the other passage I want to look at in the prophets is one we'll rest on for just a few minutes. and begins in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13. See. My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. This is one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament about why the Messiah had to die, why he had to suffer Someone must pay our sins before God. We need a day of atonement. We need a perfect day of atonement. Where like the scapegoat on the day of atonement, the sins of the nation of Israel were laid upon it and it was led outside the city to be abandoned by the people, to be abandoned from the presence of God. We need our sins to be placed upon a perfect scapegoat. Just like the other goat was sacrificed and its blood was spilled so that those sins could be covered and so those sins could be cleansed and washed away from the nation of Israel, we need the blood of goats and bulls, the perfect lamb to be shed so that our sins might be covered and cleansed and perfected. But look again at verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Isaiah 52 and 53 not only looks forward to the crucifixion, but it looks forward to the resurrection as well. After his suffering, he will see the light of life. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. After Jesus suffered in body and soul, he saw the light of light on that resurrection day. Through death, he will again see life and through both, he will justify many. Not only do we have his atoning death, but we also have his justifying resurrection. That gives us hope, that gives us peace, that gives us reconciliation with God. So Jesus took the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, he taught them or of the Old Testament, excuse me. And he taught them to these two men as they were walking. And what do they say about it? Did our hearts not burn within us? 
Have you had those moments occasionally under either the preaching and teaching of the word or maybe even through your own study, your own in-depth look at the scripture where your heart just leapt within you for the joy of the restoration that we receive through the preaching, teaching and studying of the word? It's what happened to these men as they were walking along. It made sense. It changed them. And then they get to their destination and Jesus is acting as if he's going on to another place. And they say, no, please stay. Have a meal with us. Let us offer you hospitality here in this city. And he agrees and he sits down and he's having a meal with them. And these words that should remind us of of Thursday night and of the Last Supper, we are told that he took bread. He prayed and he broke the bread to serve it to them. And it was in that moment. That the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. And they get up and they take off back for Jerusalem. Can you imagine their excitement? I know I've run a couple races before that are about 6.1 miles long. Not about exactly 6.1 miles long. And in my shuffle shambling run, I can get 6.1 miles in about an hour and 10 minutes. An hour and 20 minutes. These men, as the sun is going down, take off for a seven mile run. They're looking at an hour to two hours to get back to Jerusalem, to be greeted by the others who were there in the room and say, hallelujah, Peter has seen Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And they say, yes, we have too. And they rejoice together as a group. And we rejoice today. Unfortunately, we cannot rejoice together as a group. How difficult this is. How difficult to think that we cannot celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Let me remind you of a few things, a few realities in our own lives that this truth of the resurrection brings. Number one, it brings us justification. What good is it for our sins to be covered if we're not also reconciled to God through our justification? We're told there in Isaiah that that happened through him seeing the light of life. We know that we are righteous before God because Jesus was raised from the dead. And his sacrifice was declared worthy to cover the sins of those. Who follow him, who believe in him who profess and believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Secondly, it not only reconciles us to God, it sets us apart as holy and strengthens us for that holiness. Paul says in Colossians that we, in our sinful nature, died with Christ. And yet we were raised as holy with Christ as well. We are not merely sinners reconciled to God and declared righteous. We are holy before him as well. And it is that holiness, it is that justification, the reality that we have victory over sin through the work of Jesus in the resurrection that allows us to pursue the sanctification that we are called to, to put off those fleshly things, to to work on family relationships, to Pursue personal holiness, 
not so that we can earn salvation, but because we have been saved. But it also gives us a future reality, a future hope. As we wrestle with the difficulties of this life, right now the difficulty we are wrestling with is pestilence. We're told in Psalm 91 that we need not fear the pestilence. And the reason we need not fear is because this is not the end. We are strangers and aliens in this world, moving on to a new heavens and a new earth. We are awaiting a better country. We are seeking a better place to live. And we know that we have that place assured for us because Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrected life. And where is Jesus now? He is sitting as we proclaimed, as we professed in the creed. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He, in his human form, with scars on his hands, scars on his feet, scars on his side, is in the presence of God. And that is the hope we carry with us. Should we fall in this life? And all of us will, unless Jesus returns first. Should we fall in this life? We know that our falling here is not the end. We can face death, whether it comes through pestilence, whether it comes through age, whether it comes through any other means. We can face it with joy because of the hope that is set before us in the resurrection of Jesus. Salvation begins with confession that Jesus is Lord and belief that God raised Jesus from the dead. Salvation continues in our life through confession that Jesus is Lord and belief that God raised him from the dead. And our hope for the future life is that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. Let us pray. Our God and Father, what joy we have in knowing that we are saved. Our sins are covered and we are called righteous and justified in your presence. What glory, what joy it brings us to know that we can strive with a level of success toward holiness because Jesus is Lord and you have raised him from the dead. And what glory we carry knowing the glory that awaits, the joy that awaits in the new heavens and the new earth where we, like our Savior, will live forever in your presence. Help us carry the joy of this resurrection morning throughout our lives, not just today, but every day. Let it strengthen us. Let it give us hope in the darkness of this world. And Lord, help us to long for the day when he returns and we see you face to face. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hopefully you have uh, spiritual life songs with you. Uh, we are looking at spiritual life song number 85. Grace greater than all our sins. That is the joy that we have in the resurrection, in the work of Jesus, is that his grace is greater than all our sins. So join with us or listen to us as we sing 
Spiritual Life number 85.
As you go this week, I pray that you live in the joy and the strength and the comfort of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lift up your heads and receive God's benediction. May the great may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, come quickly.